0: All right, good morning. I, my name is Kathy Litton, and uh, I'm happy to be I have been looking forward to being here for many, many months, so I'm grateful to see all your faces. Uh, I am on staff at NAM. I've been with North America Mission Board for a year, and uh, I lead a ministry to pastors' wives for North America Mission Board. It is a new ministry for NAM, and so we're in the process of developing uh, many things. And one of them, primarily, that we've worked on this year is a website called flourish.me. If you haven't been to that site, if you're not familiar with that, I want you to write that down and go to that today and begin to bookmark that in your favorites and please help us uh, develop this ministry. We need some feedback. We love your input. Uh, we're learning how to write to meet your needs. We're learning how to put resources on there. And so, your Thoughts are invaluable to me, and I just, I welcome them. I ask you for those, so flourish.me and begin to follow that and help us develop this ministry for pastor's wife. Today in this session, I'm going to talk to you about the sacred influence of a wife. You have a handout if you'd like to follow along and keep notes. Uh, I welcome you to do that. You know, influence is sometimes a challenging feature to talk about. Uh, Influence may be a little bit hard to describe, But you know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. You ever go shopping with your husband and you're looking for a perfect dress for fill-in-the-blank, you know, thing, wedding, whatever. And your husband innocently wants to go along to help you shop. Some of you are happy about that. Some of you are not. But you're shopping for a dress and your husband sometimes will ask this question, what kind of dress are you looking for? And sometimes we give this answer, what? I'll know it when I see it. And that's kind of the same way with influence. It's sometimes difficult to describe, but we know it when we see it. Another thing about influence that makes it a little tricky, influence has a powerful effect, but it can be a glorious effect, and it can be a disastrous effect. Just like fire. Fire can warm us. Fire can cook, a f- cook food, but fire can burn a house down. Another thing that has a glorious and disaster effect in my mind is spandex, okay? Spandex. (laughs) Spandex is stretchy. Spandex is comfortable. But spandex also creates emphasis on two, two words, back fat, okay? So it has a disastrous effect. But influence can be positive and it can be negative. The definition of influence that I've come to really appreciate is the definition by Carol Kent. And that's the first uh, uh, piece I'd like you to look at on the outline. Carol Kent gives this definition for influence. It is a person's indirect power over people, events, or things, not through the exercise of physical force or formal authority, but by the force of character or wisdom. Let's, let's just go through again. I want you to kind of soak in. We're going to break that down just a little bit. But a person's indirect power over people, events, or things, not through the exercise of physical force or formal authority, but by the force of character or wisdom. Now, the role of being a ministry wife comes with potential for influence, all kinds of influence. And it's an automatic influence bestowed upon us. And and most of us will say it's influence when we're young, we're just not quite ready to wear. When I look back on my life, as as a young woman, I got married at 19 to a man that was already in ministry. And so at 19 years old, I was bestowed this automatic influence. But at 19, I was not quite ready to wear that influence. But it's bestowed upon us automatically. And your marriage to a leader in ministry gives you influence that has tremendous potential to help advance the gospel in the partnership that you have with your husband. What sets us apart in this room, most of us, are married to men in ministry. And what makes the power of our influence significant. And significantly important is that we have the potential to help advance the gospel and the partnership that we have in our marriages. And since the day you and I slipped a ring on our finger, whether we realized it or not, we began to have powerful influence over our husband. Do you see that? Now, the thing that we all work in, we work in an unusual culture related to spiritual leadership, and no one will have quite the place in your husband's life as, than you do in this, in this topic of influence. Now, in, when your husband is a spiritual leader, it's an unusual culture. And in this industry, this culture can have extreme viewpoints of your husband. Let me illustrate that. Some people view your husband, if he's a pastor or youth pastor or any kind of any kind of ministry spiritual leader, they have some extreme. Now I admit these are polar things, but they happen. There are some that see your husband like a glorified. Um, um, Glamour shot, okay? He's got it all put together. He's in his suit. and Everything's perfect about him. And they just image him like that. They, they see no frailties in him. They have him set up here in this non-real situation. Then there are other people that may be in your ministry that see your husband more like the mugshot with the numbers across his chest. That he can't do anything right. There's a lot of negative, negative things and criticism. And no matter what he does, he's not right. Now, those are extremes. Those are extreme viewpoints, but you and I are in the place when we're married to a spiritual leader, when we're married to a ministry man, we have the most accurate view of our husband because we're married to them because we love them and we see their life through a lens of honesty and desire for God's best for them. Does that make sense to you? We see them with the best lens I some of you know, maybe I'll talk a little more about but I, I'm in a second marriage. Both my husband and I lost our former spouses in car accidents. I was married to a pastor previously. I married another pastor three years ago. And so in at middle age, when you get married at middle age, it's different than get married at nineteen, okay? So and if I have to explain it to you, we don't have time for that. But anyway, I've come to see that marriage, when you're married, this is a little graphic, so hang on here. But marriage gives us the opportunity to see each other's lives like looking in a full-length mirror with no clothes on. That's, that's what we see in each other. You see everything about your husband. My husband sees everything about me. We have powerful potential to influence each other with love honesty and a desire for God best. And those things are critical right there. Love, honesty, and a desire for God's best. As a ministry wife, you see your husband's great strengths. You see his weaknesses. You see his successes and his failures. You see his dark side as well as his good side. You see his faith. You see his doubts. And God has entrusted us, he's entrusted us with a place of influence beside these men in our life. It is a stewardship. My influence is a stewardship that I'm responsible for. We've already said that our influence can be negative and can be positive. You agree with that? And so we have a responsibility And frankly, we need to surrender that influence to God and let him use it for his purposes and not my own. I can influence my husband for my purposes. But I need to surrender this this thing that God's entrusted to me, this, this influence. It's not mine to spend any way I want. The stewardship. In this room, we're all responsible for the influence that we have on our husband's. Now, in 1976, I married Rick Ferguson as a 19-year-old bride. But in 2009, I married Ed Litton as a 52-year-old bride. And I'm responsible for the influence on both of those women. And that's why I feel like this is a critical issue with ministry wives. Our influence has eternal ramifications. I want to let that soak in because that's a very sobering thought. Our influence isn't just about redecorating a house. Our influence is not just about a piece of real estate we want to buy or managing the family budget. Our influence has a great potential to move the gospel forward in our home. Do you agree with that? When we see our influence as sacred and eternal, I think it will make us better stewards of that influence in our life. If I see my influence as affecting Ed Litton and did affect Rick Ferguson for the sake of the gospel, that I'm going to handle that stewardship of that influence with so much more sobriety and so much more eternal viewpoint of what I'm saying and what I'm doing. Now, if we were trying to find a biblical passage that really spoke didactically to influence, we would struggle to do that. But we see snapshots of influence in in the Bible. We can't turn to just a direct passage that's going to give us a great text to go from, but we see pictures, and we begin in Genesis chapter 3. We see Eve. We see the power of the influence in the garden story in Genesis chapter 3 when it says she gave the fruit to her husband with her, and and he ate. And, And so we see the influence that Eve had on Adam right there. We see Job's wife. In the midst of heartache and trial and difficulty, what did Job's what what do we hear from Job's wife's lips? Curse God and die. We're going to come back to that thought a little bit later. But she had powerful influence on in her husband in a time of vulnerability and pain. We see with Michael, the wife of David. As he, I mean, this is kind of another uh uh-oh, like Eve, and like, I mean, the illustrations at this point are not too flattering, but, but she despised her husband, and she publicly criticized him for what she thought was shameless. But we also see a story of the woman of Proverbs 31. Uh, who sort of makes up for all these bad illustrations, but it says in in, in verse 10, she does him good and not evil. And, and so we understand that from Scripture, we can see examples. We can see the influence of Deborah. We see the influence of Esther. And so we see snapshots of women's influence in, in the Bible. And I want us to go back and kind of break down Carol Kent's definition just a little bit, because I think if we take a close-in look, if if we take a laser look at these key words and apply them to our role as ministry lives, it will help us. A person's indirect power, I want to talk about those two words, indirect power. Our influence surfaces in life situation. We are indirect in our influence. Um, Our influence may not come because we're teachers, but by our spirits, by our choices, by our conversations, by our actions, how we respond, how we react, when the choices we make, when we choose well, when we choose poorly, it's an indirect thing. Now, we don't love this idea, but it's nonetheless true. People watch us. People watch us. And so our influence is indirect the other phrase that carol kentz used that we have influence over people events and things now i want to tell you we don't just influence people but we influence events and things our influence can merely be our presence in people's lives it's taken me a long time i mean i'm i'm 55 so i've been at this for 36 years and some of you my age you get this now it took me a do we really get the impact of showing up at a hospital room and what it can mean to someone? It, I mean, if you're like me, you still think you're as ordinary as you ever were. You ought to. If not, we need to talk about that. But, I mean, we are very ordinary people, and we don't see ourselves as being influential by showing up at things. But it's true. When we show up at an event, when we support somebody in a heartache, It means something, and so our influence is very powerful there. The other phrase of Carol Kent that I thought applied to us so well, not through formal authority. Ministry wives, we don't often have formal positions. Some of you do have formal positions within your church, but some of you don't have formal position. We're not given some kind of public formal authority, and yet we have tremendous influence on the church without a formal title, without a formal position. And the thing that I love the most about Carol Kent's definition of the last words, that we influence by the force of character and wisdom. The imprint that we make on our influence, the imprint that we ma- is made by our character and by our wisdom, that guides our lives, it guides our actions. Um, it is really not what you and I do that influence people. It is who we are. It is who we are. Let me give you three quick statements about influence. We are unaware of the effect of our influence. Now, I want to focus this in. We could spend a long time talking about that in the life of the church, but we're not going to. But, but I want to think about this sentence in the context of our husbands. We're unaware of the effect of our influence on our husbands. Far more than we can possibly realize our men are affected by our influence. They long for our affirmation. They may say little, and they may never articulate it, but do not underestimate your power. Just about three or four years before Rick died, he had preached a message of a series of sermons at Riverside on evolution. And we had some people at our church that worked at Martin Marietta, and one in particular, one of our leading deacons, was a-, a physicist, and he had done a lot of work for NASA. And so we had a very bright people in that church. And Rick had worked very Technically, in the science part of this series on evolution, and and just really, really stretched himself. And on a Sunday night, after Rick had preached one of these messages, there was a man in our church named Ralph that was the physicist from from University of Colorado or from Martin Marie And I said to Rick, "Ralph came up and told me what a great job you had done that message today." And Rick was a quiet man, and he was a humble man. He was a meek man. And here we are, probably year twenty. I mean, Rick died. A, right shortly before our 26th anniversary. This was probably been married 22, 23 years. And I mean, I will never forget this because he leaned over and, and said to me, Kathy, there's only one person's opinion about my preaching I care about. And I mean, we've been married a long time, but that came as a surprise to me that Ralph, the PhD, <laughs> did have more way. You know, that, I mean, do you see what I'm saying? And I think that the men in our lives will never really directly tell us but we have, we're sometimes unaware of their influence. The second thing is, and we've already covered this a little bit, but our influence will, will may be negative and positive, but it always will include both. We will, we will influence positively and negatively, but it will always include both. It is not one or the other. We will exert good and bad influence on him. If you criticize people, staff, volunteers, if you criticize, it will affect your husband. If your heart goes car hard and cold to spiritual things, he, he will be pulled toward that with you. If, you. if you pray through anxiety and fears and you have peace in the midst of a storm, it will buoy him up himself. He will draw from your strength. And so our influence can have positive and negative effect. And the third statement is this influence may stir your husband to act. Your influence, my influence may stir our husbands to act. And here's the deal. We may never know it. Now we can go back to Genesis to see an example of that. Can we not? Eve stirred her husband to act. He he, he did something. And I want to tell you that I look back now with a different set of eyes on my journey and I can see sometimes one short conversation with me one perception that I had about a situation affected my husband and he acted and we may never have discussed it we may never known it but our thoughts our our responses our choices our word can influence our husband's behavior Is that a sobering thought to you? It is a sobering thought to me. It's a sobering. That's why I talk about this entrustment that we have, that we've been entrusted with that. It's so key because unbeknownst to us, that kitchen table conversation where you have gone down a road that maybe you shouldn't emotionally or any other way would cause your husband to go out and make a decision or have an action that you had no idea took. And so that's why this is such a significant conversation. Here's what I want to do. I would love for us to have some time at the end to talk. Uh, So I'm working toward that. I want to talk about five things that will create positive influence. We're talking about five things that will create negative influence. The first thing that will create positive influence is a vibrant spiritual passion. The central ingredient of influence is a real personal growing walk with Jesus Christ that we desire the word of God that we submit to its authority in our life while we may be far from the women that we want to be we are growing we are able to talk to our husband and other people about the things that we're learning we're honest about our struggles we can talk freely with transparency and vulnerability about who we are and where we are no we don't walk this out with perfection but there's a reality to our walk that our husband can see. Now, I know the minute this issue comes up, there, there will be many people just have this flare of guilt or some kind of condemnation. I want to tell you something. We all walk in seasons of dry spells. That, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. But I'm going to tell you what I am talking about. There is no room for hypocrisy or spiritual neglect. There, there's what I'm talking about. Dry spells are going to come to us. They are. There will be some desert places. So when I throw out the word vibrant, spiritual, walking, you're just like, that's not where I am right now. There will be dry spells. But there's no space for hypocrisy and spiritual neglect. And so a vibrant, spiritual life is a very important thing to create uh, positive influence Recently, we were with the church planning couple, and since you all all know each other so much, I'm not going to say who they are now. But anyway, um, his wife had done a stellar job in the first few months in their place and just had connected in the community and gone to all kinds of story times. And, I mean, just, you know, church planners, you know what you're doing to meet people. Sit out in playgrounds in cold weather waiting for another young family to come along so you can connect and all the things that you do in a, a place, and his wife had been a rock star, and he and I were sitting alone because Etta walked away, and he said to me, my wife is my best church member, and I'm just, it was just so sweet, but his respect for where she was spiritually was so evident, and so our spiritual passion has a great deal to do with our husband, and I want to say this, if you're in a dry spell, If you're in a dry spell or difficult, let me recommend a book to you, and I should have put this on the screen, but it's a book by Connie Cavanaugh, and it's called From Faking It to Finding Grace. From Faking It to Finding Grace. It's a great book. Her husband is the president of the Canadian Baptist Convention, and it's an honest book. Uh, Her struggle went on sometime, but uh, I've been encouraging, it's on the website as a book recommend, but from Faking It to Finding Grace by Connie Cavanaugh if you're in a dry season. The second thing that creates positive influence is godly character. I'm coming to a stage in my life where I don't think we're talking about character enough with women. It seems to be a thing that's attached to men, and I don't think that's done us a favor as women. And I will say this, character creates respect and respect grows influence. Think about the scripture. Third, Proverbs 31.10 said, who can find a virtuous woman? And, and another, another translation is she is the wife of noble character, a wife of value. Proverbs 31.11 says, the heart of her husband, trust in her. Boaz's comments about Ruth, is, where he says, for all the people of the town that know that you are a virtuous woman. If we're going to have positive influence, we have to have strong character. What would that look like for us? It would look like Christ-likeness. It would look like truthfulness. It would look like authenticity. It would look like kindness. It would look like being a peace-filled woman, a generous woman, a dependable woman, a consistent woman, a patient woman, a hard-working woman, a faithful woman, a persevering woman, a selfless woman. I mean, the list could go on. Those features, we need to sow the seeds of those features growing in our life. And those are the seeds of powerful influence. Your godly character is one of the most important things you have. You know what? I came to see when I was married to Rick how much his character made me love him more year after year. And really, and I, mean, I say this, and I don't say it joking. character is sexy. I mean, it's, it's an attraction. It is very much an attraction. And the longer you're married to a man, I mean, not one time in my marriage did I ever look at Rick Ferguson and wonder if he was telling me the truth. Not one time did that ever enter my mind. Well, you know what? I want to be that kind of person. I want to be that kind of wife. I want to be that kind of woman in the community where no one for a second would think, is she honest? No, I want to be honest. I want to be dependable. I want to be all those things. When Ed Litton and I started dating, I will confess, I was a little cynical about preachers, okay? Mm -hmm. And so he jokingly told me later, he said, the first few months we were married, you treated me like a convicted felon. Because I really was. I was, like, trying to see if he had the kind of character. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I was very suspicious, honestly. And life had will make us that way. But I would not settle for a man that didn't have a rich character. There can be some compromises along the way, but that was not going to be one of them. And so having godly character, I'm going to tell you what. I've watched in the last really short span, about three or four months, of five young women in my journey that have learned that their husbands have led completely double lives that they knew nothing of. Now, that is happening more and more and more. There are so many tools that allow that to happen in our lives. And I'm telling you, we have to run from that to be people and women of character that's strong. I could go on in that as you could see. But anyway, let's move on. Third thing. The third thing we have to create positive influence is a healthy biblical love. And I want to say that clearly. You know, when it talks about Eve in Genesis chapter three, God says that she's going to be a helpmeet. And in, in, in Proverbs 31, twelve about the Proverbs 31 woman says that she does him good and not evil. A healthy love wants his good, wants his best, wants to be a tool in his life to encourage him for growth. It is not an enabling, codependent love. Unhealthy love suggests that we are to rescue, enable, excuse, or gloss over unhealthy or inappropriate issues. Unhealthy love suggests that we love to get love and it's not the love spoken of in First Corinthians 13. Biblical love, healthy biblical love, is built upon mature, mutual relationship of desiring and seeking God's best for each other. It's built on truth, honesty, and truth-seeking. Our love for each other encourages growth and personal development, the kind of love that God has for us. You know, we see this so often in pastoral counseling that our husbands are often set in place where they have to speak the truth and love to someone. I've watched my husband do that a lot in the last few months, had to say some very hard things. And we understand that to be biblical love, do we not, in that setting? The same is true in our marriages. And I mean, honestly, in my season of being a pastor's wife, and some of you may agree with me, Sometimes in the, in the ministry, there can be this mindset in the minister's home that's kind of a, us against them with the people in the church. And when criticism comes, the husband and wife can hunker down and, and not receive what needs to be received because they're like, oh, they're bad, we're good. That's not, does that make sense why I'm illustrating that? That can be some of our responses, that they're all bad and we're all good. And you create this codependent thing going on, you know, that helps us not to grow and change. Criticism and the experience of criticism comes to us to make us more mature. And if we say everything we receive, we love each other, you don't have to, you don't have to accept that. That's not true of you. Well, there may be some things that aren't true. But there may be some things being said that are true, and both of us need to learn how to have the maturity to receive that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, I want to tell you what. I'm going to read a fairly lengthy story, and I know that's very inappropriate in speaking, but it better illustrates what I'm trying to say. This is taken from Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Marriage. I've read Sacred Influence. That was the book that I wanted the church planner's wife to have this year. We're sending another book next year. But this is a story that I think better illustrates a story about a woman demonstrating healthy love. Will you bear with me while I read it? Because it does tell this better than I'm trying to say. In his excellent book, How Children Raise Parents, Dan Allender describes how his young son lost his nerve on the ski slope. When the boy asked Dan to carry him down, Dan refused. So the boy fell down and began to cry and kick his feet. Dan grew irritated with his son and demanded he ski down. As Dan raised his voice in anger, his wife, Becky, suggested he go on ahead and let her handle it. Now, most of you know that Dan Aller is a very uh, well-schooled author and counselor. Dan did so, but when he watched as his son refused Becky's urgings, that did it for Dan. He walked back up the slope, fuming all the while, and met Becky with the words, Move. Your way didn't work. I'll get him down my way. You're about to witness a godly and profound power that a woman represents. Listen to Dan's words. But Becky stood her ground. My wife looked at me with kindness and strength. When I finally reached her, her head slowly turned from side to side, and she said, no. There was a moment of silence, and she said, Dan, I know you've been shamed by many men who meant the world to you, and I know that is not what you want to do to your son. It was all she had to say. A myriad of faces flashing on my memory, and again, I felt the raw experience of being humiliated and shamed by men who really did matter to me. It silenced my anger, and I began to cry. My wife put her hand on my heart, and she said, you're a good man, Dan. She turned and in one graceful fluid movement. She skied down the slope. Even while Dan acted at his worst, his wife called him to his best using affirmation. She stood up to him, gently reminding him he was a good man. When Dan reached his son, he was a much-changed man. That's the power women have. One magnanimous gesture, one aptly spoken phrase can work wonders. Dan's son had seen and heard everything, so Dan opted for a direct approach. Andrew, you saw my face as I was coming up the slope, didn't you? He quivered, yes. And you saw how angry I was, didn't you? Yes. And you were afraid, weren't you? Yes. And you knew I would make you pay if mommy had not been so strong and loving and stood in my way and protected you. At this point, his eyes were bristling with tears and his cheeks were shivering with fear. And I looked at him and I put my hand on his cheeks and said, Andrew, I was wrong. Mommy loved me well and loves you well. She asked me to see what I had become and what I did not want to be. Andrew, I'm sorry for being angry. Forgive me. The gift my son gave me was incalculable. He put his hand on my heart as he had seen my wife do, and he said with tears, Daddy, Mommy is right. You are a good man. That best illustrates what I'm trying to say with healthy biblical love. That's something worth working for in your marriages and build a culture between each other with that. The fourth thing that creates positive influence is a shared vision. We are genuinely on his team. We are partners with him in mission that God has called him to. You are unequivocally with him. You may not love everything, not asking you to love everything, but to be on board with the mission that he's on board with. And I will say this that we have the responsibility to grow with him in his ministry. I mean, when Rick and I started off at 19, no idea where we were going at all. But we grow along with our husband in the ministry. It's it's our responsibility to grow yourself, to enlarge your vision and to and to enlarge your vision as your husband's ministry changes or transitions. And we have the unique capacity to share his vision like nobody else can do. You know, I lived alone for seven years. I was widowed and I lived alone for seven years. So one of the things I really learned in that season of singleness what it's like to do life completely alone and not share. I would come back from speaking. I would come back, I'd come back to an empty house, no one to talk about. I was in ministry in another place. And I really saw that the thing that I missed the most of marriage is just sharing these kind of things. And, I, you know, I, don't, I shouldn't joke about this, but this is where I want to pull out the widow card and kind of lay it down to you. Don't miss that opportunity to share the vision with your husband. Because it's a precious gift in marriage, and it means so much. him. And, and all of us have a little different capacity. Some of us are really ministry wonkish, and we really love it all, and others of us a little more down here. We don't all have to be at the same miles per hour at this. But if if it's hard for you, I encourage you to ramp that up a little. Ramp that up. Enter in a little more with him. It will mean so much to him. And you will be pouring into the effect and the fruit of his ministry in doing that. The fifth thing is wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you, James 1.5. Rick died 10 years ago last year. And I don't think there's one thing I've prayed more for myself in the last 10 years of doing life alone is this thing of wisdom. And we need to ask for wisdom. We need to seek that wisdom. And, and our husbands need us to be women that have wisdom. And if we don't have it, we just got to pray James 1.5. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me your mind in this matter. And so wisdom that you can give your husband is one of the best things that you can give him. We need to have wise thoughts. We need to have a godly perspective. We need to have what, what the Bible talks about, wisdom that comes from above. Not, not wisdom that's down here. And I will say to you. That I'm a sensible woman. I'm an analyzer. I'm a good discerner of people. But I'm going to tell you what, that is not necessarily godly wisdom that comes from above. Do you see what I'm saying? There is a difference In, in breaking down James chapter 3 13 and 17. But the wisdom that's from above is pure it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield, it's full of mercy, it's full of good fruits, it's without partiality, it's without hypocrisy. And so we need to seek wisdom that comes from above with godly thoughts. We need to have godly behaviors. We need to use good judgment, godly judgment in actions. We need to be slow to act, slow to speak, slow to judge, slow to critique, slow to respond you can tell i have a problem with this right here okay there's a lot of points in here we need to have filters right up here maybe i'm the only one am i the only one that need a filter right up here my little oh i can't tell the story because it's going to be recorded but it's really funny but we're going to move on from there your husband may ask you what you think about something Here's a novel thought for me. I, sometimes I'm learning to wait for them to ask me what I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to wait. I'm not going to go with the idea they want to know what I think. I'm just trying to not do that as much. But when he asks you what you think, that's the time we need to pause. The I need some wisdom right here. I love Jeannie Elf. She tells a funny story about Tom. I've had young pastor's wife ask me this question more than one time. What do you do when your husband asks you about how his sermon went? And it really wasn't that awesome. (laughs) And I mean, I'm just like, you know, there's really not a good answer for that. But Jeannie Aleph gave me the greatest answer. Jeannie Aleph, now married to Tom Aleph, president of the International Mission Board, pastor's wife for years. She told me that Tom said something about a message, and ask her what she thought, and this was her answer: She said, "Tom, I think you took that sermon out of the oven before it was done." <laughs> <laughs> now I love that answer, but uh, it does take a lot of wisdom, and y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. There are sometimes we're asked questions about very sensitive issue. Proverbs 12:18: There is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword. But the tongue of the wise promotes health. I have done a lot of damage with my tongue in the years. I have had a tongue like the piercing of a sword. And you, you I'm not alone in that, I'm sure. It's, it's, it's a quick reaction, oftentimes, that's got me in trouble with saying things. So we need godly thoughts, we need godly behaviors, godly actions, When we choose well and respond in a godly way, it leaves a huge wake of influence behind us. So there's five positive things. Let's talk about five things that create negative influence. The first one is when it's not indirect. That's why that definition is so important. It fails to be indirect when it becomes control, manipulation, criticism, influence. And listen carefully. Influence is not about trying to change your man. It's about influencing him. When we're in a constant atmosphere of trying to change him, we're not influenced anymore. We're controlling. We're being manipulative right there. Susie Hawkins wrote a post on the website some time ago, and she used the, she talked about the Latin word for influence means in the flow. So influence is not sitting your husband down and giving him five things he needs to change in his life. Uh, Men, listen to me, younger ladies, learn this in the hard way. Men do not thrive well in an atmosphere of constant critiquing and negativity. They will shut down. They will become passive. They will withdraw from you. I have done this to Rick Ferguson. I have done this to Ed Litton. When we start down that road and you see your man backing up and withdrawing, it's probably because we've been critical and attacking and we have not been indirect. And so men thrive under godly influence, but they do not thrive under a constant attitude of criticism. So that creates negative influence. The second thing, when we have no discipline with emotions, when we have no discipline with emotions, fear... Anger, disappointment, doubts. You know, I'm beginning to see, you know, I write material for things I teach. And one of the things I want to talk about, I'm kind of working on preliminary on this, is just fear in the ministry. I never knew how to voice that. But there are a lot of things that made, that created fear for me in the ministry. Success, failure, people, Security budgets you church planners, you're worried how long can we stay in this place and we may not be able to be or what are we going to do if we have to pack up and move and you your husband knows that might happen that ch- the school you're in you might not get to go to, and so you just the, there's fear and so when we have those emotions when dur- difficult circumstances rattle our hearts and we're afraid or we're angry or whatever, we may vent, we may explode, we may melt down, we may withdraw, we may lash out, but when we do those things, we have tremendous impact on our husbands. We may damage him privately, or we may damage him publicly. A public display of real emotions, okay, we're going to talk about this in a minute, that's negative... For anybody, I'm not trying to set us apart here, but remember, people are watching us whether we like it or not. Those public displays can be very damaging. We are reckless in our emotions when we react impulsively, when we have a very short fuse, when, when we quickly become angry. I did a little research on the Internet on, this, on the subject of emotions and, and, and managing them, and I turn up this fascinating, enlightening statement that you might not be aware of. I read this straight off the Internet. It says, inappropriate diet and hormone imbalances may affect your emotions adversely. Did you all know that? No. Yes, you knew that. <laughs> we can be in a very tenuous time, and there may be some legitimate reasons But managing those emotions, disciplining our emotions, are not denying their reality. That's not healthy. But we may genuinely feel fearful or anxious or wounded or betrayed. We don't pretend like nothing's wrong. That's not the goal. We don't pretend like nothing is wrong. But we learn how to try. I remember as a young woman, I heard this from Shirley Dobson. She said this, the training of emotions is the discipline of our responses. The training of emotions is the matter of fact, the emotion, we don't train that. We're going to have anger. We're going to have feelings of betrayal. We're going to be hurt. We're going to be mad about some of their kids. But the training of our response to that is what's key. Go back to Job's wife. What Job's wife failed to do, listen, I've had death, and I've had loss, and those feelings are real. And that's what Job's wife was feeling. Was she not legitimate feelings? But where she lost her ability to influence her husband, when she said, curse God and die, what'd she do? It was an impulsive response with her lips about what she was feeling. Genuine feelings. No one should ever say that Job's wife shouldn't have felt despair and grief and devastation or hopelessness. Those are legitimate but how she expressed it where she got in trouble. And so the, the more we mature our responses to our feelings, the more healthy our influence will be. Trust God, not your feelings. I know that's one of those things you can write down, but when that feeling <laughs> waves over us, that is so much harder to do. Think in your mind. Let me ask you a question. I wish we had time to really talk. What helps you manage your emotions you may got a couple one-word answers. What helps you when you're feeling those feelings? What really helps you not to impulsively burst something out? Prayer. Sleep. Okay, we've got some young moms in here. They're just they're sitting here just crying right now. I mean, sleep. You know, time out. Step. I mean, I have physically kind of stepped myself back from, I mean, not an incident, but just like take try, try, 10 Count to ten. Step back. That really has helped. Someone else. Taking your mind, mind off herself. That's a very good one. Taking her mind off herself. Taking her mind off herself. Yes. That that? Yes. the scripture. I think if any of us have an ongoing issue with a certain thing, that having that scripture that speaks to that, that addresses that, is very, very helpful. Let's move on to number three. Third thing that creates negative uh, influence is lack of humility. Just too much confidence in ourselves, in our perspective, and our point of view. When we think we are right. Now, I'm going to go back to Eve on this. What we see in Eve in the garden is raw pride. God told them what was best. And you know what? She thought she knew better than God. She thought she knew better than than Adam. We're not exactly sure of all the dynamic there. But she thought that this was a good idea. Now, she was deceived, but we've fallen the same thing. We have, I mean, I, I you know, I'm confessing a lot of my sins. It makes me feel really good about myself here. But, I mean, I spent far too many years thinking my perspective was right. And that was not healthy. And there was pride in that. And... I'm learning to mistrust my perspective. And for me, that's been a good journey. Now, I'm not suggesting you are in the same place I am. But I want to tell you, the mistrusting my perspective has been good. Knowledge does puff us up. Isn't that what the Bible says? We get a little puffed up. And when we get that way, we may just start saying things that aren't helpful. And, And from our perspective, we think we're being helpful. But we're not being helpful. And so arrogance is in there. The fourth thing is discontentment. I kind of tell some people at NAM sometimes that the theological basis for my ministry to ministry wives is this theological truth. When mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. <laughs> but when we are discontented, when we have dissatisfaction in our hearts, it creates a lot of negative influence. What comes out of us when we're discontented? Criticism, complaining, comparisons, it it can create a negative, negative thing in your home. We know what Paul says in Philippians 4.11. I've learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Now, you know what? Contentment is not just a passive state of willingness to kind of put up with something. That's not what contentment is. I love this. I found this definition in John MacArthur's study. But I thought this was so tr- so good. True contentment is when by God's grace and power, we carry on faithfully and joyfully from the heart despite external circumstances. True contentment is when by God's grace and power, we carry on faithfully and joyfully from the heart despite external circumstances. And the key to that is by God's power. I think in my season as a widow, I I struggled to find that kind of faithful joyfulness again about life or about anything. And I really, over time, in healing and growth, and God will enable us to live with circumstances that we do not want. And true commitment, true contentment is when God gives that to us despite our circumstances. Maybe you don't like where you live. Maybe you don't like the people that you serve. Maybe you don't love the culture in which you live. Maybe you don't like the salary that you have, the car that you drive. You're not happy with the school that your kids attend. Can you find contentment in those circumstances? You can. God can give it to you by his grace and his power to help you carry on faithfully and joyfully from the heart despite those circumstances. And we were able we are able to rise above those things with a contentment that is exceptional. And it, it will be a shining light. I've come to love this verse in Philippians two fourteen through sixteen. It means a lot to me on many levels, and I've taught on this and I love it. But Philippians two fourteen, sixteen says, Do all things without grumbling and complaining disputing, it says in one version, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. That phrase, among whom you shine as lights in the world." You may not think that contentment is a bright, shining light in this culture, but it is. Have this contentment in your heart in external circumstances that you do not love. Maybe the brightest light you've ever held up in your life. And I really see that when it says without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, that we really stand out from the culture when we have this contentment. It's a powerful thing that we have in our life. That word grumbling, if we were to look at it in the Greek, it talks about a low tone of of grumbling. It is just this underlying tone of dissatisfaction. Now, let's be honest with it. We have lived with that. We didn't like the house. We didn't like the carpeting. We didn't like where we had to go to the grocery store. And there was just this underlying low tone of grumbling. And It didn't take much to push us over with that discontentment. And I want to tell you, that has tremendous effect on our husbands. Our husbands, whether he'll say this or not, they feel somewhat responsible to the place that they have drugged you to. (laughs) And more than you know, he may feel some burden of guilt or responsibility that, yes, I know our kids are not in the greatest school in the the city. And when we come at this discontent with this grumbling attitude, and it may not be about the school, but it comes out in every other way. Do you know what I'm saying? And so this is a low tone that we may carry. The word disputing it suggests that we're having a, a it's a questioning mind a- and it's an intellectual questioning grumbling may not just to be about the bad carpeting in the house that you're living in grumbling we have serious suffering and wounds and losses and sometimes our discontentment goes back to a very disappointing i want to tell you life has disappointed every person in this room at some level has it not And sometimes back there, we have an issue that we have not resolved with God, that something came into our life. And I tell you, I know what it's like to lay and question something God's done in your life. We've all been there at some level. But we have to work with his grace and his power to find peace even in those things in our lives. So discontentment is a very uh, negative thing to influence in our home. And the last one is this that we have no words of encouragement, no words of encouragement, when we fail to use our words to encourage our husband. To influence your husband well, you need to create a culture of encouragement. I have some wonderful parents. My mother died two and a half years ago, but, and they were loving. But I'm telling you, I did not grow up in a home of words of encouragement. Just didn't. Something about that generation, sometimes that was not natural to them. But I want to tell you that we have to communicate with our husband with verbal and nonverbals. We have to be intentional about encouraging. Let me tell you this, you younger ladies. I think you older ones like myself have kind of figured that out. Let me give you a secret. Regularly thinking negatively about your husband will will increase your dissatisfaction with him. When you regularly think negative about your husband, you will get yourself in this swirl of downward feelings about him. But the opposite is also true. Affirming your husband's strengths will likely reinforce him, and it will build up your own heart to cherish him and to love him for what he is. So the words of encouragement are not just for him. They're for you. It can be a game changer. He needs your words of encouragement, and you need your words of encouragement. And these need to be spoken words, and they need to be written words. Now, I'm not talking about overstating flattery. I'm a very real, honest person. I'm not saying things, meaning to tell you, say things that aren't true to your husband. That's not what I'm talking about. But it is honest encouragement to your husband's heart. Before Rick died, on, and, and Rick was, was the last, uh, 10th anniversary of, of our leadership there at Riverside. When he got to his office that day, he, and he died a year and a half later, but I had a letter laying in the office for him, and we wrote letters back and forth a lot. My kids have letters from their dad and all this kind of thing. That's why I'm kind of big on this written thing. And so I had this laying in his office, and this is part of what it said. This is what I said to him as his wife. Every Sunday when you get in that pulpit, there is one person in the congregation who is asking this question, is this preacher for real? There is only one person in the congregation that truly knows the answer to that question. It's me. I do know what you say in the pulpit matches your life. Of all the accolades that an anniversary can bring, none will be as telling as what a man's wife has to say about her husband. I wish I could charge the platform today and tell the people about the Rick Ferguson they would never, they never see. I would tell them how hard you labor for them and the hours you spend in study and prayer. I would tell them about your death of love for them and the agony over decision, the desire to lead only by God's clear direction. I would tell them about the thorough integrity of your walk. I would tell them about the humbleness of your heart and the frailties of your life that you continue to hand over to the Lord. I would tell them how much you love our children and me. I would also tell them how sweet and precious and rare our marriage is. I would tell them how our love grows and grows each year and how you pour into me spiritually, emotionally, and physically and how our passion for each other is at all-time high. Now, I read that, and I'm not trying to be emotional, but I, I do want to say writing these things down and telling your husband is a valuable tool. It's a valuable tool for you. It means the world to him. And sometimes we get so busy that these words of encouragement are hard for us to take the time to share with them. Now, I know we're out of time. We didn't get time for you to talk, but we've given five negative things of influence, five positive things of influence, and I hope you will consider how that we all can increase our positive influence and decrease our negative influence. Let me pray for you, and, and then we'll close. Father, these women have powerful influence in, in their worlds, in their work, in their church, and in their home. And, Father, primarily today we've spoken of their relationship with their husband and the influence that they have in his life. And, Lord, I hope that we leave here more committed to understanding that we have eternal influence, that we really do help advance the gospel by supporting and influencing our husband. Lord, help us all increasingly grow to to weed out the negative influence in our life, Father, that we see that happening less and less, and that we grow in the area of positive influence. And Lord, it is a blessing to our husbands. It's a blessing to our children. And Lord, it's a blessing to the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that if you've spoken to us as women that would leave here, we would leave here wanting to act and change and repent and rededicate and move forward to be the influencers that we could be in our, in our marriages. We love you, Father. We are so thankful for your love for us. And Lord, continue to change us and grow us and shape us into Christ's likeness every day, Father. Make us fresh and green with spiritual growth. And Lord, we want to glorify your name to the nations. In your name I pray. Amen.